0: Our scripture passage comes from the Gospel of Luke, the 15th chapter. Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, this fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. So Jesus told them this parable. Which one of you... Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. Or, what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one of them, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so, I tell you that there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Every time preachers step into the pulpit They bring the world with them. They bring themselves, too. They bring the congregation. And they bring the scriptures. This is what happens on a regular basis. And when there is distinct and present crisis in the world, we should even more so be attentive to the way that scripture speaks in the midst of that crisis, and at the very least, Scripture helps us to endure the pain, the suffering, and the insanity of the world if it doesn't directly show us the way out of the crisis. At this moment in our world, there are over 32 major conflicts. These crises, believe it or not, are categorized according to number. Major wars, wars, minor conflict, and skirmishes and clashes— and these, designated, these designations are created around numbers such as 10,000 or more, or 1,000 to 999 dead. 100 to 999, or even 1 to 99 lost in skirmishes and clashes. In the year 2023 alone, the U- Russian-Ukrainian War has seen over 95,000 people dead. Places like the Sudan and other places like Mali, it's each seen for 12,000 killed. In Ethiopia, hundreds of hundred thousand. In Myanmar, twelve thousand. In Syria, six hundred thousand in the last ten years, and in the last week, approaching four thousand people lost. In what we call the Holy Land. That's a lot of numbers and behind each and every number is a human being, one who is known to God and made in God's image. The authors of scripture were no strangers to war and conflict. The birth of much of our scripture comes out of conflict. The psalmists, they knew war, and yet they wrote such things as, the Lord is my deliverance. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Though an army encamp against me, yet my heart shall not fear. And though war rise up against me, yet will I be confident. It takes a lot of courage. Courage to speak so glowingly of God's faithfulness when one is in the midst of war. And since the time that the Psalms were written, over 2,500 years ago, we may have lost the immediacy and the, and of the sense of presence of war and conflict. When we read them now, we spiritualized them. We made actual wars mentioned here into spiritual battles between flesh and spirit, not necessarily conflicts between human beings made in God's image who distort that image in choosing hatred over loving kindness and any time that we feel spiritually oppressed we turn to those scriptures and we do find solace and comfort in them but we must never lose tra- sense never lose track of the sense that out of lived experience the psalmist makes tr- such claims as trust in the lord trust in the lord in good trust in the lord in bad Trust in the Lord and the Lord's peace. It is truly a faithful act to turn to Scripture and know that God promises to be with us in the midst of whatever hardships, woes, or wars come our way. And the most important thing is to remember that Scripture does not speak promises in a vacuum. Not too lightly proclaiming God is good all the time, all the time, God is good. The words of Scripture come out of the lived experiences of those who know deep woe. And yet we continue to turn to Scripture. We come to worship to ask, Is God good when I feel lost in the world? Is God good when so many are lost? In our Scripture today, Jesus seeks to tell those who disagree with him about the kingdom of God. You know that place that we are to seek beyond all else? The kingdom of God, the realm of God, a universe in which the lost are found. One sheep is lost. The shepherd goes in search of that one and leaves the ninety-nine behind. Ten coins there were, one is lost. And the one who seeks and searches finds the one. The funny thing is about these two parables is that neither the sheep nor the coin seem to have any consciousness of being lost. We don't hear the coin say, hey, I'm over here. You're getting, you're getting warmer. Warmer. Oh, no colder now. Warmer. Or do we ever hear the sheep say, gosh, I'm sorry that I've got all this grass to myself. I wish somebody would come along and just take me back to that cramped old pen I live in. We have no idea if the coin or the sheep want to be found. What's more important about these stories is that the one who seeks, finds, and rejoices. And what does this tell us about the kingdom? In the kingdom, there is one who is far more concerned about searching and finding than anyone who is lost would ever know what it means to be found. Now you may tell me, we cut this, I cut the scripture short today. There's one parable, another, and then there's a third parable we didn't hear about it. And it's the one story about that young man who goes to his father and he says, I'm done. I want out, give me my inheritance and you'll never see me again. And away he goes to a far country and there he squanders his living and he ends up, there's a famine and he's hungry and the only job he has is to feed the pigs. And he says, you know what? Back at my father's house, I bet they're eating pretty well. I wonder how I could get back there. And he schemes, and he plans, and he plots, and he says, if I go back, maybe, just maybe, I could get back at that banquet table. And as he's finding his way back, who comes running? not he who runs. It is the the Father who comes running out and joyfully, before he ever hears the words, I'm sorry I was so bad, we hear the Father rejoicing and making plans for a bigger and better banquet than anyone could ever have imagined. In all three parables, the one who is seeking finds, rescues, saves, delivers, restores, reconciles, and forgives. It is the one who This one who is the kingdom itself. In our world, there are plenty who are lost. Some are looking to be found, but many have no idea that they're lost or what it would mean to be found. On such days as this, we are called to be a people who are seeking to be found, surely, to be found out. But even beyond our understanding of what that means, we are called to pray on behalf of those who are lost and don't know they're lost, those who are seeking and searching. It is our job, it is our role, it is our calling to be concerned before God for others. The psalmist knows what it truly means to be lost. The psalmist, the ones, the psalmist, the poetry of God, Jesus would have himself known. How would he have ever known about the kingdom of God unless he found such realities expressed in the scriptures themselves that he would have read? And so he hears the voice of the psalmist saying, Out of the depths, O Lord, I cry to you, hear my voice. And if you're not feeling that depth today, then pray for those who do. How do we poise ourselves to be found and to pray on behalf of others, we turn to the scripture and we find how those who spent their lives in the midst of conflict and struggle and war who wrote about the promises of God. And so we hear from Psalm 34, the psalmist out of the depth of human despair, find this voice, I sought the Lord and the Lord answered me and delivered me from all my fears. This verse speaks to the very heart of our sense of being lost. It forms the basis on which our reliance on all the claims of God's faithfulness is based. It is the voice we cling to when we pray for others who are lost. And the psalmist speaks out of the depth of human experience. I will bless the Lord at all times. The Lord's praise shall be continually on my lips. What does it mean to bless the Lord? I thought the Lord blessed us. It means, actually, to get down on your knees and say, I adore you, O God, and I am humble before you. It means that in the midst of daily life and especially at the most difficult moments, we are called to stop and to humble ourselves and say, I am reliant upon you, O God, for all of life. I thank you for this breath that you have given me that I might praise you. I might, in hope, trust that you are there. And even if we do not understand how God is going to make good out of a difficult situation, to find those who are lost, we are to praise God, not only with the words that make it past our lips, but with that inner voice as well that says, My soul makes boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. And what is this soul? It is all that God has made us. It is life, it is breath. It is our body, it is our spirit, it is everything that we are. And the psalmist would have known this and says, "My soul boasts in the God, the God that is good." And the word in the world and when the world humbles me, I turn to God and give thanks for breath, for life, and for another opportunity to serve God faithfully and lovingly. I praise God for seeking me, for in such seeking I am found. Oh, Magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt the name, the Lord's name, together. Praise, praise, praise the Lord. Praise God's holy name, alleluia. Praise God's holy name, alleluia. Praise God's holy name, alleluia. The words magnify and exalt, they suggest the movement upward, up a steep a steep climb up to the mountaintops, arduous on the journey to go up and to find that place where there is rarefied air, that we might breathe in and fill our lungs with clarity, and there, revigorated and revived, we praise God on God's holy mountain. Let us exalt and magnify God's holy name. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. And especially, not just when we're breathing in that rarefied air, but when we are in in the midst of the rubble, of destruction, and the dust that arises therein. I sought the Lord, and the Lord answered me and delivered me from all my fears. I I cannot imagine a verse more personal to me and to each of us. Imagine God setting us free from each and every fear, the only thing that truly binds us the only thing that causes us to do harmful things to others and ourselves. And God is the one who delivers, who rescues, who emancipates, who saves from fear. Hallelujah. Let us praise God's holy name. Let us seek after God together in our praise, our prayers, and in our service. And look to the Lord and be radiant so that your faces shall never be ashamed. Wow. We hear about Moses who goes up that mountaintop to meet with God and in their, in their interaction, their communion, Moses comes back down and he, he comes among the people and all the people go, whoa, you're too bright. They asked Moses to put on a veil because his face is shining after meeting with God. Would that we know a little bit of that. Our eyes have been occluded darkened to seeing the radiance of God in our brothers and sisters all around us. And once we see that radiance, we could never do harm. Hallelujah. Let us praise God's holy name so that this poor soul, when it cried out, was heard by the Lord and saved from every trouble. The Lord knows no status in this world The Lord knows the lowliest, the most afflicted, oppressed. And God listens to the lowliest lowliest, and delivers. And we take comfort in this. God listens to us beyond any worldly status. And the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Imagine an angel so large that it surrounds all of us a heavenly protector as if we were a besieged city. God is our veil of protection, even in the midst of war. Hallelujah. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Happier those who take refuge in him. For those who are seeking shelter from the world's chaotic destruction, the Lord is their refuge is our refuge. The sheep may or may not want to uh, may, or may or may not want to be found. The coin, we have no idea. That son plots and schemes, but he has no idea what coming back, repenting, turning toward, truly and genuinely means. John Calvin One moment of theology for you. John Calvin was so uh, adamant about what happens in the Lord's Supper. What he said was that when we take the bread and the wine, we are nourished and sustained by God through God's Spirit and the Spirit of God's Son. We are nourished at a banquet beyond our comprehension and understanding. This is what it means when it says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. For those who crave after sustenance in this life are promised that the Lord tastes good. The Lord satisfied, come and taste and see. Even in the midst of all of this, the promises, the fears, ministers struggle as much as anyone else with the great tragedies that come to us in the world. And yet we enter the pulpit time and time again to say, taste and see that the Lord is good. And we have to say it in such a way that it's beyond an empty platitude. So uh, this sermon is preached as much to me, myself, as to all of us, to say that we turn to Scripture because it is our calling, our calling to the God who is the God of the lost and the found, It is for us to gather around Scripture and to hear its promises and in our prayers and in our praise to put forth our faithful trust in a God who remembers each of us by name. The God whose holy name we have praised knows your name, knows my name. We are not numbers. We are called by God's own sacred name. And we are to pray for the lost and for those who want to be found and those who have no idea where they are. And we come together and we pray that the angel of the Lord surround us and them and bring all safely home to God's holy banquet. This we pray this day and forevermore that it be so. Thanks be to God.